Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Today's Spirit in Action guest is concerned with healing on both physical and social levels. Though Jerry Edwards and his wife Vicki are Amish now, it's a community, identity, and religion they were drawn to in their later years. With one foot in the mainstream world and the other in their Amish community, they are specially placed to help with the dialogue between the mainstream medical world and the Amish, and this includes sharing news of a powerful burn and wound treatment used in Amish and other plain people communities, which dramatically promises to reduce suffering, expense, and to speed up healing. In addition, there is a long-term issue of mistrust and miscommunication between the medical world and plain communities, with frustration and injury resulting. Jerry Edwards has helped address these problems and will further support that mission as part of a conference to be held on February 12, 2019 at Gunderson Hospital in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I meet today with Jerry Edwards in person on the farm where he and Vicki live, just outside of Hillsboro, Wisconsin. Jerry, thank you so very much for joining me today for Spirit in Action. Thank you for this opportunity, Mark. Your name came to me through my stepson, Joseph, who is a medical doctor himself. When did you run into Joseph? Actually, he was referred to me by uh, Patty Hinderman at Upland Hills Medical Facility. I had given her some information, and she passed it on to Joseph, and Joseph expressed an interest in it, was kind enough to get back to her and have her put me in touch with him. How big is the gap between the medical community and the Amish with which you're affiliated? Quite a gap there, and it's, uh, as one doctor observed, it's not readily apparent when somebody walks in the hospital and the doctor sees them and they think of the common ground that they have. But when you start getting involved with treatment and the values behind it, the cultural and religious background people come from, it can be very difficult for a doctor to relate to an Amish patient. You mentioned that Joseph reached out to you following up on work that you've been doing now for, I think, six years. There's two parts of it that I want to explore today for Spirit in Action. One is the burns and wounds treatment, and the other thing I think maybe we can best call plain medical, plain folks like the Amish, Mennonite, and Baptist. There's a few different peoples that we're talking about. Why don't you spell out what plain means in our usage? Well, the group most commonly referred to by that would be the Amish, but there are many other groups, including the Mennonite, the Amish Mennonite, the Hutterite, the Charity Group. These groups are defined by what you would call Anabaptist is the term, and they have two doctrinal characteristics which define them. They are non-resistant, which means they're pacifistic, they don't participate in any type of violence, and also they believe in adult versus infant baptism, meaning that before somebody's baptized, they want them to be fully cognizant of the decision they're making that would occur at a later age. That's what we would define as the plain community. In Wisconsin here, based on some work we did for the St. Mary's Hospital chain, the plain communities together would total about 25,000 or more just in the state of Wisconsin. 
mostly Amish, and then beyond that, the Mennonite. Uh, there's also old German Baptist brethren, I forgot to include earlier. Um, there's a couple settlements in Wisconsin of those folks. So there's a fair number of people in that category, and the hospitals are beginning to realize that there are some issues that need to be dealt with there to make both the patients comfortable and to make it easier for the medical facilities to handle those patients. We're going to get into the medical issues related between Plain Community and the medical institutions. But one more thing, you're acting as a spokesperson here for a Plain Community, a kind of an interpreter, if you will. My understanding is that even though you're 65, you have not been actually baptized yet into the Amish community, but you've been affiliated for quite some time. So what is your role within Plain Community? We've been familiar with the Plain community for probably about 17 years now, but it's only more recently that we decided to make a commitment to joining the church. And as a part of that, becoming more and more acquainted with folks, we came across these medical issues and started with the burn and wound cure the Amish developed. And we saw an opportunity there that perhaps coming from a different background, we could help the Plain community as a sign of gratitude for being allowed to join the community by helping them introduce that into the medical circles where they could use it more openly and have less painful treatment and less costly treatment. So those things went together as we got to know the Plain community better. We also worked on helping to introduce this into the medical community. It took a little while for us to sell our farm and get up here to Hillsborough to actually live in the Amish community. And we've been here about a year and a half now, and we're in the process of going through baptismal classes. Some of the questions that came up in this project and the issues involved caused a delay in that baptism. So we are currently proceeding with our work on this project to continue to help the Plain community, although we're not officially baptized members. But the project goes beyond just helping the Plain community. It goes to the general patient advocacy issues of patients having input in the decisions that are made in medical facilities, that their opinions, their feelings are concerned, and that where there are choices, that the patients are considered active participants in making those decisions with the medical people. So the project has evolved there from burns to general medical issues to patient advocacy, and that's our position in relation to the Plain community at this point. From the information that I've reviewed and from what Joseph talked to me about, it's clear that there are blessings to flow in both directions. The burns and wounds treatment, the cure that the Amish and other plain folk use, given them to the wider world, I think has great promise to help a lot of folks. Unfortunately, some of the blessings that medicine has developed have been prevented from reaching plain folks because of misunderstandings and also some actions that are misunderstood, and I want to get into those. But first, it all started with this burn and wounds cure that the Amish have. What's this all about? Well, that's a good question. There are a number of issues involved here. Traditional burn treatment included what's called skin grafting, and involved with that would be a process called debriding or cleaning a wound. The way this was done for a period of time was that the wound was actually scrubbed and scraped with instruments down to the point where the open burn bled with the patient conscious. This is an extremely painful process. After that, skin grafting 
was done, which involved taking skin from another part of the body, a donor area, and then attaching that to the burn itself. Now you've got two areas to heal. You've got the burn and the donor area. And the skin grafting did not always take. It did not always expand if it was on a child with the growth of the child. It did not always breathe properly for the body cooling down. To compare that to what the Amish have done for the past 30 years is the way they would debreed or clean a wound would be gently with an olive oil-soaked rolled gauze, which is a highly lubricated way of doing it. And if there was foreign material in the wound, they would use burdock to pull it naturally. They would not scrape the wound. They would not scrub the wound. They would not pull foreign matter out of the wound. They do not need skin grafting with this method because the salve that they use, the burn and wound salve, in conjunction with the burdock, heals naturally. And this is a virtually painless method when it is used properly versus extremely painful traditional debreeding and skin grafting process. This has actually gone to the point with one case, which is a good illustration, where a child in Canada was forced to have skin grafting against the parents' wishes by the government, and she did not heal well, and the parents brought her down through the United States into Mexico to Dr. Contreras, and experimental surgery was done removing the skin grafting. And this natural method of the Amish was used in a process of successive approximation, and it worked. And that was groundbreaking medical history there for people. And uh, Dr. Contreras has been very kind to share this knowledge. He's participated in a previous conference I did on the subject, and he's going to be participating on one as well uh, here soon in La Crosse by teleconference. He has taken probably 100 burn cases over the border and is well experienced with the success of this method. So... B&W is much less painful. It does not have a lot of the drawbacks of skin grafting, and it is much, much less expensive than skin grafting. I'm curious. You say, Jerry, that this originated some 30 years ago, and I wonder what was being done before 30 years ago. Burns and wounds have been happening all along. Was this just an innovation that was discovered, experimented with by plain communities? Well, there's a number of ways this area of burn treatment and wounds has been handled historically. The B&W in particular, what we define that is, is what John Keim, an Amishman who's now living out in Pennsylvania, developed when he had serious burns in his own family. The way it came about was there had been previous experience with burns in the family, and there was a child that was actually so afraid to go back to the scrub tanks, that's the term used for the way they debrided in the medical community for a while, where they actually scrubbed these wounds with a conscious patient, which was extremely painful. This child actually, out of fear, died on the way to the scrub tank. So John went to the woods, and he prayed, and he saw a burdock plant, and he started researching. He put together information from various cultures, going all the way back to Egyptian and Chinese culture with honey-based treatments, and came up with what he thought was an optimal method. And that has been refined over the years. And the method includes not only the salve he developed, which is a honey-based salve with natural ingredients such as olive oil and lanolin, but it is used in conjunction with burdock, which helps keep the wound from being infected and also draws foreign material out of the wound. And burdock has a long history as well in other cultures. So this is not something totally new. It's the way he brought strands together 
from different pieces of knowledge and combined it into what has had 30 years of what they call anecdotal history. The hurdle we have had to overcome now is to try to get the medical community to listen and realize that this is a viable method with a long history, and we need to see how we can fit this in to the medical structure with legal implications, administrative implications. There's a lot of complications, but we've already had hospitals issue written policies for the use of this in their emergency room. Even in the UW burn unit, University of Wisconsin burn unit, the SAV part of the treatment has been accepted officially in writing and published with University of Wisconsin backing in the international plain publication, The Budget. Uh, there have been major strides, but it's, uh, it's not a simple thing. I tend to be predisposed in this direction. I've interviewed over the years various practitioners of herbal remedies, for instance, and Joseph and the other folks you referred to clearly are receptive to the message that's coming through. I think you said six years, Jerry, in trajectory up to now. How did you make these incursions into the group medical mind? Actually, you're right. On the medical side, that was the first step of being used to getting doors shut in your face, so to speak. (laughs) It was not taken seriously. It's like, this is an old fishwife's tale. This is something we can't deal with. That's why we have FDA restrictions, is to protect the public from these sorts of scams. Well, it took quite a while to get over that. The first three years, there was a lot of discouragement, and we didn't seem to be making progress. But one of the big breakthroughs was uh, Monsignor Shekel in the St. Mary's Parish in Richland Center, after giving me a very good argument on this subject against what I was doing, he then provided me with two or three years of office support to conduct this project. And those folks provided me with that for that time, and probably more importantly, they gave me moral support. They said, keep trying, that it's worth doing. And it was, after all this time. The last three years now, it's been one breakthrough after another, fortunately, we can see the ripple effect of what's happening, the benefit of this project in various areas. So we're very grateful to all the people that did reach out and help uh, after the closed doors there. (laughs) And uh, the moral support was worth a lot. On the plain side, we have issues to deal with because uh, the plain community is a very closed community, very reticent to have contact with society because they go back to the literal interpretation of Scripture and be ye not conformed to this world. And they take that separation to the point where it is difficult to draw them out to participate in discussions on this subject with the medical community. So we have tried to build a bridge there. We came from a non-Amish background. We're living in an Amish society. We've tried to provide a conduit of communication there. We've seen that as our role to help make this happen. And uh, we're very happy with the progress that we've seen, but it has not been an easy road. I'm still wondering, the standard proof that the medical establishment wants is a double-blind study. You can't exactly do this double-blind because people can see if they're having their skin rubbed and, you know, if they've got burdock leaves pressed out over their skin or honey placed on them. But I imagine that there's some level of data which has been accumulated, which has been persuasive. How has that gone? Well, our strongest point is the anecdotal history, but the medical people are very reticent to accept that as a basis for continuing forward. So we asked initially for 
a study. And University of Wisconsin head burn surgeon Lee Fouché went through the Internal Review Board and Clinical Research Committee, and we seriously considered a study, but there are limitations when you become involved with that that are financial and practical limitations. Their study is very expensive, and the only people that can really afford it in many cases are the large drug companies, and the Amish are afraid that B&W would be taken by the large drug companies. And after a study becomes so expensive, it would become unavailable to the very people who created it. So we're in sort of a tough situation when we start getting involved with discussing an official study in a typical context. I am still hoping to do a study at some point because I think B&W has even more beneficial aspects than have been documented. And I think it bears laboratory research and serious medical attention. But it will have to come in a way that the Amish community does not feel threatened by it. And I think that will mean we will not head for FDA approval, but we will head for studies that will boost the confidence level of the medical community to where they feel comfortable using this in clinics, emergency rooms, and burn units and not go through the official drug approval process that the government has. Um, the Amish are very reticent to be involved with the government, and I understand that. So I've tried to approach this from the standpoint of finding other doors. Other doors have opened that we didn't even expect. And the medical facilities have some provision for latitude in home medications, they call it, where you bring something in, it gets registered in the pharmacy, you're allowed to use it within the environment of the hospital, but it's not an officially approved drug. That's one way that we're getting in the door to have this used in emergency rooms. But also, just directly working with the burn unit, uh, the burn surgeon we're working with has already approved B&W to be used, the, the SAV alone, in the burn units. That was a big step. Just doing that alone, when we went back to surrounding hospitals and other people in the medical community, when the head burn surgeon at UW says it's okay to have a patient come in dressed with this method, all of a sudden that opens doors in all the surrounding hospitals to the possibility that they will accept a patient and stabilize them, which means open the dressing, look at the wound, evaluate the severity, and then, very importantly, look at the hydration level and the shock factor, which the Amish are not competent to really deal with at a technological level. And then make the decision, can they handle it at that local hospital, or does it need to be forwarded to a burn unit? This is where it becomes a little more complicated. A lot of the Amish would like to see the local hospital handle the burns, but the local hospitals are under a lot of restriction with that and don't have the knowledge necessarily to handle serious burns. Or they would like to go straight to the burn unit. That's not the way it works. A lot of times you need stabilization because the closest place to save a life is the nearest hospital. So we need to have B&W accepted in the local hospitals and the emergency rooms to have people stabilized. And we need it approved in the burn unit. So wherever the patient goes, this will be an accepted method of dressing. And you can't just do one or the other. There's common misunderstanding there. We need both those levels of support. And the Amish need to understand, and this is overlooked a lot of times, we very much need the medical community. So we need to respect the restrictions the medical community work under and work with them to reach some suitable compromises on this and respect the fact that they have knowledge and technology that we don't, and we need that. We're going to get in a lot more detail about the Plain communities and their engagement with the medical system. But first, I want to remind you, you are listening to Spirit in Action, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production on the web, northernspiritradio.org, with 
all of our programs since 2005, dealing with people trying to bring healing to the world, including today's guest, Jerry Edwards. Jerry, by the way, is not a doctor. His expertise has been in the area of education, and he's actually not even officially baptized as Amish yet, though he is very close on that path at this point. So he is, in fact, acting as an interface between the English community, as it's called by Amish, the mainstream community, and the plain communities here in Wisconsin. On the NordenSpiritRadio.org website, you'll find links and ways to contact. So we'll have an address so that you could reach out to Jerry Edwards if you're interested in this effort. There's also connections to all of our guests of the past 14 years. So please go to NordenSpiritRadio.org to find that. Post a comment when you visit. We love two-way communication. It's not enough that you listen to us. We need to have your voice and input. There's also a donate button if you'd like to help support the work of Northern Spirit Radio, which is full-time work. Please click there and help us out. Even more importantly, I'd like to see you support the local community radio stations. Mainstream radio is under a lot of limitations corporately. Community radio stations have considerable latitude in both the work and the music that they play, and we'd love to see you support them. So start out by supporting your community radio station and then reach out to NordenSpiritRadio.org. And in any case, help spread the information about burn and wound treatment that Jerry Edwards is talking about today. And we're going to get more into plain medical in just a moment. But first, I wanted to share one more step about the burns and wounds cure What you've said, Jerry, up to this point is when people from the plain communities, Amish, get to the medical system, it's important for them to have the option to continue or to pursue their wound healing via this innovative technique that came up somewhat 30 years ago. Is it available to other people besides the plain community? That's a good question, and my approach to this was that this project would start by benefiting plain community, but hopefully what would result in the knowledge about BNW would spread to be used for everybody's sake. The problem in dealing with this issue is that we live in what I believe is called tort law situation in this country where people sue people and recover damages for malpractice for things which are not considered due diligence in various professions. The medical community has liability insurance, and and they have big legal departments that are very cautious about considering methods like this. It's going to be a while before this goes outside the plain community, but I think it's possible. I know of one burn unit already um, that has allowed it for a non-Amish person, And that was involving the Amish community, where the caregivers were Amish, but the patient was not Amish. I think that's great progress, and I appreciate what the doctors are doing to reach out there. We just want to make sure we're not asking doctors to do anything that is going to hurt themselves professionally till we can get the proper policies and such revised to support them. We do want this method available to everybody. That's important, but it'll take a little while. I'll just add one comment on that. If you need help... I believe the Amish communities will help you near wherever you are. If you feel comfortable going to an Amish caregiver, and there should be two or three caregivers in almost any Amish settlement in Wisconsin for a burn or a wound, I think they will feel comfortable helping you. They might be a little hesitant because, of course, they always have to deal with that risk. 
somebody suing them, but I think you'll find the Amish willing to treat you. Well, that helps me transition right away to a further topic, what I've called plain medical. That is, there are a number of issues in plain communities in dealing with the medical system, not only in Wisconsin, but across the United States. So there's a whole number of issues there that I'd like to explore. And again, so that the healing is available and that respectful attitudes are carried out in both directions. But I did have one question about B&W, the burn and wound cure. It is currently January in Wisconsin. I don't see a lot of burdock outside the window here. So my question is, where do you get your burdock for that treatment when it's midwinter? I don't have the internet facility, but I would imagine if you went out on the internet, you would find it possible to purchase dried burdock over the internet. If you go to a local Amish settlement, you will probably find that they have burdock stored from the growing season that's dried, and you can even cultivate burdock. There are seeds sold, including for specialized forms of burdock that may be more optimal. So you have a number of alternatives there. You do have sources, and the burdock should be clean, and there's a number of aspects with that. It's first-year burdock. Cut out the big veins in the leaves so you don't cause discomfort. Uh, it should be harvested in areas that are not right by a highway and pollution-free if possible, aspects like that. So it's not just picking anything, although in a pinch, I'd still say burdock of any type is going to help you, even if it's a little dirty. And by the way, when I was 14 and a Boy Scout, I was trained that you could get burdock root and you could use it for eating. I mean, we had to learn emergency-wise as Boy Scouts, uh, we had to be able to eat. So I know burdock was out there, and I'm glad to know that it's also good for burns and wounds. But let's get to the topic of plain medical. And I am speaking to Jerry Edwards, who's part of the Hillsboro Amish community. I want you to expound on that a little bit. A couple things to mention. Plain communities, Amish, they are not hierarchical. That is to say, each local community has a certain number of its rules and so on that it governs itself. And so there is not a one-size-fits-all with respect to all communities, even though there's a lot of commonalities. So what we say here, take it with a grain of salt if you find that medically advisable to have salt. But what I would like to know, Jerry, is some of the primary issues that the plain community deals with when trying to interface with, connect with, get healing via the medical system in this country. There's quite a few issues there. When you come into a hospital facility, you're coming into a high-tech environment. That's something the Amish are not readily familiar with. They do interact with society to some degree, but they don't have the same comfort levels. In a hospital room, you have a big screen staring at you with a lot of noise. I guess my way of describing that, some people wouldn't even recognize that. But to those of us who don't live in that environment, that's a little jarring. And people running in and out and high-tech equipment beeping at you and flashing. And this is different for people. Yes, people have to adjust to some of that. But some of it could be adjusted to where it's a little bit less of a shock for people, like the televisions not necessarily being on immediately or being able to disable them which makes things much more pleasant for those folks. Modesty in dressing. In a hospital, you need to examine wounds and you need to examine patients and all. But modesty for people who live in a very conservative environment, it needs to be done in good taste in a hospital. 
to strip somebody down, you should be considered the fact there are not other people around. I've been in an environment where that's not necessarily the case in a hospital room. To take clothes off that don't need to come off. Um, a woman's head covering is a religious aspect of the plain community. People don't necessarily realize that. Consider when they have them put on hospital gowns or they're very sick and they just start undressing them. There are things that should be observed about those cultural and religious differences that would make it easier for the plain community to come in. The plain community deals in group decisions sometimes, in members being advised by their ministry, by their deacon, by their ministers if a serious issue is involved, something with a lot of money or something life-threatening. There's a lot of community support. People don't come in isolated as an individual. When an Amish person goes in, there's going to be a lot of connections to that person, and the hospital will shortly realize that by the number of visitors. People want input into the decisions in the hospitals. Many institutions, I think, are improving on this point and try to have group participation in major decisions. I think St. Mary's calls it rounds they have, where at a certain point a doctor, a nurse, a family, possibly community member will all be present when a major decision is to be made, and it's discussed and a decision is reached. That participation is very important. In the medical transport area, things such as ambulances and helicopters, the Amish Plain community will frequently use drivers, um, people in the community who are kind enough to for pay drive them places. In many cases, that would be satisfactory instead of an ambulance and less expensive. And cost is definitely a factor to the Amish. Not all Amish families are very well off. Some are better off than others. The right to make that decision on transport is something that we would want. Specifically with helicopters, it becomes a big issue. It is a very costly thing to transport by helicopter. If it is an emergency and it is absolutely necessary and everybody agrees on it, then I think you will find most plain people will agree to it. But where it is not absolutely necessary and people are persuaded, in some cases almost intimidated into using it, forcing a decision, uh, saying, well, don't you care for your child enough to have them transported, uh, those sorts of pressures we want to get around. We want to communicate that where possible, we want an alternate method of transportation. Well, one doctor expressed it to me that modern medicine is the very best, the very quickest, the most high-tech, and that's what they want. To the Amish, we want the problem solved, but we don't have to have the quickest or the highest tech or the most expensive solution. We are willing to take longer. We're willing to have an alternate or perhaps what people would consider older method used if it's satisfactory, heals. So we would like to be able to have the right to make that decision and control the costs on there, participate in those decisions. There are quite a few different factors there, and the ability even to communicate in these situations is something that becomes very important too because the Amish are brought up in a different environment than most of society in terms of the openness of speech. A doctor may be talking to people and find they're not getting a lot of response or they're not getting what they would like in terms of input. And many times that may be because the person has been taught from early on to be quiet in certain situations. There is a distrust of the outer world. That's a very definite problem that needs to be overcome by trust. That's the only way I really know of to get around that. There are reasons why the Amish are brought up that way. It's respect for elders. It's respect for the church. A lot of it is out of basic decency, but people not understanding that might interpret it as stonewalling or a lack of cooperation. 
It's not necessarily meant to be that way. They're dealing with things as best they know how, the way they've been brought up. So we need to work and communicate, build that bridge between the medical community and the Amish to overcome those obstacles. And probably the most important of these, I could go on with other ones probably if I could think of all of them, but the, the critical one here is in not being overly trusting of outer society and being exposed to it much and the fear of the expense and the fear of methods of treatment and not being able to participate in the decision. If people don't come in, we lose people. People are going to die because of the bridge that's not there yet. If we don't have that communication and we haven't created that link, people will be afraid to bring their children in. Little children and older folks have very little leeway or tolerance in medical treatment. If it's not obtained when it's needed, there's not a lot of fat there to deal with. You're going to lose patients. So there's a very realistic danger in not communicating and trying to bridge this gap in people not coming in for treatment when they need it and the condition being worse or totally losing patients of death with the patient. So these cultural aspects have very real implications. And I think there's one aspect that you didn't mention, and people could easily miss it. I mean, we're speaking with Jerry Edwards, who is a native English speaker, whereas many of the Amish, I mean, you you grew up actually with Methodist and Catholic influence, and it's really been over the last 17 years you've got to know about the plain community. So I imagine your Deutsch, your German is not very strong. How many people, when they go into the hospital, if they're coming from plain communities, are so-so uh, in terms of their English or their ability to understand under stress? Well, even for a person who speaks perfect English, I might think that they would find communication with the medical community daunting sometimes. I don't mean that facetiously, but <laughs> the medical vocabulary is difficult, even for those of us who speak good English. But beyond that, there are adults that speak better or worse English. Almost all the Amish adults will have some understanding level. But when you discuss complicated subjects and you're under stress, given the situation and all, most of these folks are going to want to resort to their native tongue, which is Dutch, and Dutch is not spoken in the hospitals that much. Now, there are mechanical translators that I understand can facilitate with Dutch, and we have people in the communities can advocate, go out to the hospital with patients that speak Dutch, so that will help. Uh, particularly with children, this might be a little more of an issue with little children because the little children are brought up in the home till they go to school just with Dutch. They may not know English, so if the doctor or nurse is trying to ask them how they feel and various questions, there's going to need to be some translation done there. And for those who are not educated about this, Dutch, Deutsch, Deutsch, and there's various pronunciations of it. It's a form of German, uh, low German, I think it's commonly referred to. So that's one of the areas, just communication. Decision-making is happening differently. Now, the medical world says if A is true, you test for B, and then you do C. It's got their formulas. And the plain folks who are coming in might not be with the B implies C or even having the test done. So what you're referring to, Jerry, is different values that are being lived out through the medical experience and having those respected. Again, one of the big points we want to deal with here is patient advocacy. Patients should be able to have it their way uh, as long as they're well-informed, and I think that the medical people need to be informed as well. There's education on both sides that needs to happen to improve this world. 
So one of the aspects you refer to a number of times is lower cost. And in the world that I live in, everybody freaks out about having insurance. You have to have medical insurance. You have to have Obamacare, the ACA, or you have to have Medicare or Medicaid or, or your private insurance company. Those are not part of the Amish experience. Could you say a little bit about the point of view that informs that decision by Amish? I think it has to tie back to the decision to be separate from society. And some of this one has to be careful in communicating and definitions of words. They ensure, if you want to use that word, by the group covering the individual as a community supporting the individual. They don't take out an insurance policy. So if a person runs into a big bill, that bill goes to the deacon in the church, and that deacon may write other settlements, and people will be requested to donate what they can to get the bills paid. The medical bills are probably one of the largest threats to the existence of the plain community at this point. The bills, some of them are enormous. The income of the plain community is not necessarily enormous to make up for that. On society's side, insurance is pooled in large populations and the risk is hedged by having that huge number of people to support the few incidents of catastrophic type medical bills. So both groups have insurance, depending on how you define it, but they come from different aspects. It's very common at the end of a church service in the Amish community to have letters read detailing medical bills from other settlements requesting any help that might be available, free will donations. I'm also curious, Jerry, about some of the do's and don'ts. What are the values that are being upheld by deciding which medical treatment is okay and which is not okay? Expense is one aspect of it. My understanding is that this is not like Christian science or Jehovah's Witnesses, where they have certain, you will not have a blood transfusion for Jehovah's Witnesses or Christian science, which has a whole number of limitations of which medical treatment they will accept. What are the operational limits besides finance with respect to the Amish? For example, does it matter if the medical treatment is delivered because of the use of electricity? I don't think electricity would be a problem. I know a few limitations, but I would suspect that aspects that would be genetically engineered, things that would be artificial in that nature, which would tamper with the nature of what God has created, would not be acceptable. But I think most medical procedures would be acceptable. But you still have the difference between individual settlements and what your ministry would approve of or not approve of on an individual basis. When a ministry guides a member of a settlement and this individual goes against that guidance, there's going to be sparks there. One doctor that I had worked with described a situation where the advice was given to the patient, the doctor participated, the family opted. Uh, In this case, it was a burn for grafting. They thought that was the best way, and the settlement was dead set against grafting. So then you have a conflict between the member of the church and the church guidance. That's a very delicate situation, and that's not due to the technology, though. That's due to differences of opinion and the leadership of the Amish and a member disagreeing, a little different situation. So to your specific question about level of technology and prohibited practices, I think you'd find very few restrictions there. And are there any general attitudes in the Amish or the other plain communities about vaccination? 
Well, vaccination is a good topic. As a matter of fact, we're having somebody speak from that, Dr. Newman from La Crosse, at the conference coming up February 12th. And that's a touchy subject because people have mixed feelings on what they consider to be unnecessary medical treatment with risks versus treatment which is medically necessary. So it would depend on how you define a vaccination and the individual you're talking to, how they're going to feel about that. And these things come up to new birth testing to protect infants when they're first born on tests being conducted. You're going to have varying opinions with that, um, and you're definitely going to run into some resistance in the community as far as suspicion about the effectiveness and the risk factors involved with vaccination. But it, it's a topic that uh, needs to be dealt with, and let's just say there's a, probably be a difference of opinion within the communities on that. And, and please realize that uh, there's 300-some thousand plain people, old order, in the United States, and I don't know how many settlements. In, in Wisconsin, we have 60 different plain settlements. Each settlement has a little bit of a unique character, and then you have all the various subsets of the Anabaptists. You're going to have quite a spectrum of opinion. And again, Jerry, you just referred to something that's going to be happening. Jerry Edwards has taken a lead role in trying to bring both plain community and medical community together in Wisconsin and in La Crosse, Wisconsin. On Tuesday, February 12th, there is a day worth of exchange of information going on. Say again a little bit more about what that will be, Jerry. This will deal with the full range of plain medical concerns, which would include the use of B&W, the burn treatment, and it will be on a variety of topics presented by doctors from many different institutions. We'll have probably in excess of 15 different medical institutions represented, directly or indirectly, quite a few doctors speaking. And besides B&W, there'll be topics like birthing and midwives, vaccinations, which you just brought up, uh, is going to be another topic, ethic and cultural differences in the delivery of Western medical treatment. Uh, we're hoping to have a speaker on Lyme's disease, which because of the exposure we have working in the fields a lot, this is a common problem in the plant community. Ambulance service, which we talked a little bit about earlier with choices in transportation. We hope to have an ambulance company there discussing some of these issues. Studies being done in the Plain community. We'll have a doctor talking about a study involving the Amish and rural people and how that affects immune systems, different groups of people. They're trying to figure out, for research purposes, how different backgrounds produce more or less effective resistance to disease. So there'll be quite a few topics there, and there will be a question answer period, an open forum for people to ask these doctors questions on their presenting topics. It'll be a good opportunity for people to attend. We have seating for to 165 plus people at Gunderson there. It'll be in the Integrated Center for Education, the Ice House at Gunderson Hospital Campus. And to be clear, Jerry, our general populace people welcome, is it only for doctors, medical nurses, uh, who would be accepted into this 160 or so seats? It will be, I would estimate, 30 to 40 medical people, doctors, nurses, administrators from various hospitals. We've invited people from all the Plain communities in Wisconsin. That's about 60 communities, totaling about 25,000 people. But realistically, for a meeting like this on a weekday, I think there will be room for whoever would like to come who is interested in these subjects We'll have a local paper from Hillsborough covering this conference, and uh, I think the public relations uh, department will also be involved from Gunderson. There'll be quite a few different hospitals 
covering southern Wisconsin area. So it's an opportunity to meet some of the medical profession from this area. For some of the plain people, they'll be possibly meeting people right in their area that offer service. And it's an opportunity to bridge this gap and questions and concerns that people have on these topics. So we would like to invite everybody to come. Anybody who is interested, please come. It would be from 8.30 until 5 o'clock, February 12th. And we'll have that information linked on the NorthernSpiritRadio.org website. A couple more areas that I'd like to discuss. One thing that I feel frustrated with our society about, there was a time where basically all births happened at home in the United States. And there was an increasing complexification of and belief that a doctor had to be there to deal with birthing. Now, mind you, my son was born in a hospital back 32 years ago. We reluctantly went to the hospital just to be sure, take care. We had mapped that out very carefully because we wanted to be in control. And one of the things that in this plain medical world you're trying to do is make sure patient advocacy. Well, we had a 20-point plan, and we talked to people, so we knew we were going to get the service that we wanted. And there were challenges there. The norm in some other countries in the world, including first world countries, is that a significant percentage of the children are born in homes. For the Amish, birthing is pretty typically an at-home experience, right? And at what point do they make a decision to go to the hospital? How is that decision-making guided? Sure, the preference would be at home. And A lot's happened in the midwife category there recently, and I'm not an expert on this, but I have worked with some people involved with that. As far as legislation governing midwives and recognizing their function in society, recognizing them as medical professionals, that's helped quite a bit. And you'll find that there will be midwives in the Amish community that will serve that function, and also the Amish community will use midwives from outside the Amish community, English midwives. And wherever possible, I think you'll find that they will want to have their their service and their medical treatment at home. But if there is a complication, if there is some severe risk there, I would hope that the judgment would be made to use the local medical service. And this is something that brings up another topic. It's okay to go off on a little tangent here. Because of the separation from society, And because of the desire to be able to heal at home and in their own environment and be more independent, unfortunately, the plain community has exposed itself to some degree to what would be called questionable medical practices out there, um, which are not professional medical people necessarily, but what they would place in the category of alternative medicine and, I would say, more experimental, untested, uncertified type of practices. And that has a number of implications. One, they may not get the treatment they need and suffer unduly for it or die. Two, they may be taken advantage of financially. So this again ties into the idea that we want to build a good relationship between the medical community and the plane community so that the fear of crossing that bridge doesn't guide the plane people off in the wrong direction into illegitimate medical practice. I think there's one more aspect of plane medical that I'd like to talk about, and this has enormous ramifications, I think, in both directions in terms of the medical system respecting 
the plain communities coming in and plain communities trusting the medical system. And that has to do with decisions that are made that are not based on the common values of the society, in particular with respect to children. I think you mentioned earlier that often, since the values of the plain community are fair distance away from the norm in our society, they're not conformed to the world, they will say, this is what my child should get as treatment. And the medical system says, no, I've got the Hippocratic Oath. I've got to do this to keep your kid alive. I've got to do this to treat your kid. When parental prerogative is ripped away from the plain community, uh, it does not encourage respect and trust uh, from the plain community towards the medical system. How big of an issue is this? And is this being addressed also at the February 12, 2019 meeting in La Crosse? We're open to all issues being discussed in La Crosse. And this is a good point that needs to be discussed. And it has a number of ramifications. One, those 100 burn cases that went across the border to Dr. Contreras in Mexico are because of this. Uh, Where there's a conflict in opinion between the patient and the medical community or a fear of going into the medical community, people will seek alternate service. Fortunately, going across the border is a legitimate medical alternative. And uh, as I said, Dr. Contreras will be one of the participants by teleconference in this conference. But people will frequently leave a case to where it's too long. It hasn't been treated soon enough, and it becomes more severe, and then it goes over the border to him. That's one implication that we have there. But let me take another example. In a burn case, and we've worked with UW with this a lot, children are a complicated situation. In the statement of understanding that I wrote, and Vernon Memorial revised and UW revised and went through the legal department, and then that statement was published in the budget internationally, some of these topics are brought up. One is patient has the right to refuse medical service. That's important. Um, in visiting with somebody to make sure things were going right at a hospital lately, I showed them that in the written policy of a hospital room they were not aware of. For adults, once you keep in mind, if you differ in opinion, you have the right to refuse medical service and to leave the hospital. With a child, it's a different situation. There are legal aspects. And the way we resolve that with UW, as Dr. Fouché explained, where something is not life-threatening and we have a difference of opinion, we'll get together and discuss this and we'll work with the patient to make a decision. Where something is life-threatening, he has restrictions he has to operate under. And unfortunately, he may have to make a decision that will oppose the family's wishes. But that is something we have to be realistic about. There are legal restrictions we have to operate within. But those distinctions are important to understand. We would like to have communication and cooperation solve these problems without such radical solutions. I think we all want that to be able to happen. It's a challenging thing. There's input from so many different points of view that have to be carried into decision-making. You've been working on this now, Jerry, I think, for some six years. If you could simply state, what is the goal of this work? I think it's been work of the Spirit. I think it's been work coming straight from your heart. If we got to the point where you think you've been heading, recognizing that God can take us in a different direction at any moment, where do you think that goal is? We started this project to help people, to relieve pain and suffering, and to relieve financial distress. But in the process of conducting this project, it became a deeply rewarding religious experience. 
because we saw doors opened one after another, so-called coincidences happening, that we knew were not coincidences. And instead of just helping people, it became more a calling that we felt we needed to do, that that was our service to the Lord by helping others. Going right through basic scripture, I was hungry and you fed me, simple scriptural passage. We would like to take the balance of our years to continue work similar to this project, to serve the Lord by helping others. And I think this project will be part of it as we go overseas into mission work. Uh, We'll be looking particularly at hospital-based missions, and it's possible that this project will help some of those. But this project is not our main emphasis for the future. Uh, In going overseas into mission work, we're looking to help on the full range of service from hospital-related issues like this to other aspects of the projects we're looking at, orphanages, hospice care, care for the disabled, care for people coming back from war front situations, wherever we feel we can be of service. So we're looking at that. Shortly here in the spring, we're going to take a trip over to the Ukraine and to Tanzania to some missions we've been communicating with. Then we're going to come back and make some decisions, and then we hope we're going to settle in for the the final leg here of the journey and position ourselves overseas in a mission where we can take on a major project along this line, but uh, much broader in service, and we hope we'll be able to serve. That's our goal. It's clear to me that you have been doing important service to this point. I'm thankful that Joseph connected me up with you. I'm thankful that you and your wife have felt led to pursue this with so many helping hands bringing this together. I point to you because it's been your central leading that has inspired so many people. And I'm thankful that you've been open to that leading, put your life in service that way, and that you've joined me today for Spirit in Action. Thank you again for this opportunity, Mark. And I just hope that in some way, the various things that we've been doing filter out and have a ripple effect to help others. Just a reminder, folks, you can go to nordenspiritradio.org and you'll find information and link to the plain medical meeting that's going to be happening. It's open to the public. Again, it's on Tuesday, February 12, 2019 in La Crosse. The information's on our website. Thanks to Catherine Thomas for production assistance on today's program, and we'll see you all next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action.